Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. The Sower is really just a parable that Jesus told uh, a whole heap of people that were listening to him one day. And he told them this parable because he was so aware that some people can sometimes make the decision to become Christians and to follow him. And then as quickly as they make that decision, that, that thing can be snatched away. That decision can be snatched away and people can actually step back from following Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to understand. And, and again, this is really not complicated. The sower sows. Yeah, I told you it wasn't complicated. So the sower sows, he sows seeds. Seeds, the seeds in the story that we read uh, tonight, they represent uh, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. And the sower seeds, um, you know, good things, bring the gospel or the words of the kingdom into the lives of people. Now, when the sower sows, it's with the idea that something is supposed to grow. Every seed that God sows is good, and every seed that he sows has the potential to grow into something significant. But what we have discovered over the last three weeks is that it's not so much a problem with the seed, but oftentimes it's a problem with the seed is planted. The seed is always going to deliver every time. But what doesn't always happen is the soil is not always receptive. And just to clue you in, the soil is us. So God sows good things into us, but depending on the conditions of our hearts will have a a lot to do with the potential of how much that seed can grow. So what we've been saying over the past sort of three weeks is that we have problems that prevent our producing potential, okay? And in the first week, we discovered that the, 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 you know, one major problem that Jesus talked about was having a hard heart. And if you've got a hard heart towards God, then even though he's trying to sow good things into your life, you might not get it and you might not receive it. And you've got to be careful about that hard heart because, you know, that thing will sneak up on you. You might not think that you're offended with God and suddenly you realize, oh, I am. And so things aren't happening in my life and they're, and they're not growing. You've become resistant to God. That was the first week. Last week, I, I spoke about another reason why people will step back from their relationship with God. And the, and the parable talks about people that make a decision to follow Jesus, but then they are persecuted. And because they are persecuted simply because they're associated with Jesus, not for any other reason. I'm talking specifically about the fact that they would say that they're Christians, they're Jesus followers, when they are persecuted because of that, rather than endure the persecution, they step back from their relationship with God. And we start to look at a couple of global statistics about the church and Christians that go through persecution. And uh, we we learned uh, about an organization called Open Door that actually lists the top 50 countries globally that persecute Christians on the planet. FYI, Australia did not make the top 50, not even close. So I don't know what you're going through, but there is a lot of countries where things are worse. And so what I, you know, when I um, had done all the research and I had read uh, and, and, and looked at everything that, you know, Christians are going through being persecuted around the world, really, to be honest, at the end uh, of all of that study, I just felt like we should um, not take up an offering, but just devote that Sunday's giving to the persecuted, the most persecuted, you know, people on the planet, uh, which is Christians. And so uh, we were not taking up an offering, but I, you guys kind of turned it into an offering because we ended up giving away $15,500 to Open Door last week, which was pretty good. 
So it wasn't supposed to be, but you guys were just generous and, 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 uh, and because of that, we're able to uh, give that money away to them. And so that brings me to tonight. This is the last week of the series because it could have gone for longer, but you know, Jesus only gave us three ways that the seeds were snatched. So, so um, I'm not going to go beyond that. And, and so we're going to learn about that tonight. So if you've got a Bible, um, you can open it right now to Matthew chapter 13. For those of you that don't have a Bible, you can look on the screens. <clears throat> it says this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him. So they got into the boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parable saying, and here's the parable of the sower. A sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell along the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, you know, Jesus wasn't actually asking if they all had you know, ears. He was saying, let me paraphrase this and, and reword this for you. He told that parable, and at the end of it, he said, you guys, you guys get me? Like, you know what I'm talking about? And they did not. So he said, okay, well, let me explain it to you. And a few verses later, he does that. And so he explains the third reason why the seeds are snatched. And he says this in verse 22. He says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the world, the word, but the cares of the world, say cares of the world. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Say deceitfulness of riches. riches. Two things, they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. I want to preach a message to you tonight called desire and direction. Desire and direction. So years ago... um, we, when I was uh, living at home, when I was uh, much younger, we had a little puppy. And uh, that, this puppy, when, when, he was, when he was small, he was just a pup, uh, one day he bit into a balloon. And when he bit into the balloon, you know, they have that sharp teeth. It just popped immediately. And this little puppy, our, our, our dog, got such a fright, he, he, he ran away, right? And then, because of what had happened... He developed a fear of balloons. So children's parties were a nightmare for him. These you know, horrible things floating around the place. He would just take cover at children's parties because there were balloons everywhere. And it seems kind of crazy that a dog could be scared of balloons, right? But did you know that they actually have a word for the phobia of balloons? It's called globophobia. Uh, this is not a lie. I would not even make this up. It is called globophobia, right? And yeah, okay, so our dog was um, afraid of, of balloons, right? But the name is given to people, okay? So there are a whole heap of people on planet Earth that are afraid and have phobias of, yes, balloons. And I know you think it sounds crazy, but it makes the top 100 list of phobias on the planet which kind of puts a whole heap of things into perspective for humanity. And I, I learned when I, when I looked into this list, as I started to read through the list, that people can be afraid of almost anything. Like there are names for phobias and fears that I have never even thought of and heard about. Man, I, I learned so much, right? 
Like, for example, there, there is a name, right? And I hope that none of you have this. And if you do, I'm not making fun of you, but it is, it is kind of bizarre, to be honest, right? There, there is a phobia that people have, the phobia of looking up. That's right. You heard me correctly. They have a phobia, a fear of looking up. They, they don't like to put their heads up, right? I know most of you are laughing. I can see most of you. And a lot of you guys are confusing. You, you know, I mean, I love that in church, we don't have anyone that's afraid of putting their head up, only their hands up. But that's another situation altogether, you know? But, but you know, like there is a phobia for so many things. And here's what I learned about that. Fear can direct people's daily decisions. Fear can direct people's daily decisions. When I first got married, my wife and I, Sarah, we went through pre-marriage prep. And the point of going through pre-marriage prep is that you try to uncover as many things that, that could bring about conflict in your life so that you are prepared for it when you head into your marriage. So we did pre-marriage prep. And in the first three months of being married, I learned something really interesting about my wife. After about three months, I discovered that she never gets the mail. <laughs> Ever. Does not go to the mailbox, does not collect the letters, does not take them out. And I get home very late, so I'm always going out at night and was walking down to uh, the letterbox and taking them out. After about three months, I said to her, Sarah, I have noticed that you never go down to the mailbox and you never bring in the mail. So is there, is there a situation? And she said, yes, okay, there is. I do not like to go out and collect the mail. And I tried to get there ahead of her and I'm like, right, right, I get it, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, it's probably because there's like spiders in the letterbox and creepy things and, and like bugs live in there and there's like, you know... Uh, it was what it is, right? Like you're afraid of, of all the things that live in there. And she said, no, it's, it's not that at all. I said, well, what, could, what is in the mailbox that is frightening you so much? She said, it's worse than all the things that you spoke about. There could be bills <laughs> in the letterbox, right? And I said, are you serious? And she said, yeah, I don't want to open any bills, Right? And I, you can imagine why this never came up in our pre-marriage prep, because you never have a conversation about this. It just doesn't come up, you know? And she didn't like to, to open bills. I said, sweetheart, I said, both of us work full-time. We don't have kids and we rent. We have all the money to pay the bills, right? And, and by the way, not going to get them doesn't make them go away. They're still going to be there. So, so, you know, let's just face reality and go out and get them. And, and you know, I can, I can tell you right now, like, you know, she no longer has issues. She, my wife now is brave enough to go and get the bills from, from the letter. I know, give her a round of applause. Thank you. <clears throat> She's not here tonight. I'll tell her that you were so proud of her. But, but she was afraid of getting uh, the, the, the bills. Now, I, uh, this could be a mild, it's interesting kind of how it affected her life. It could mildly affect someone. It, did, it kind of mildly affected Sarah. But there is a phobia Right, given to people that are afraid of being poor. It's called paniophobia. And paniophobia is the phobia of becoming poor, impoverished, right? 
And because of that, they actually have a word for it. There are some people that are actually afraid of that happening. And that as a thought, as a phobia, how many of you would understand that when you have a phobia, it dominates your thinking? Yeah? yeah? Okay. So, so if, when it becomes a phobia, it can dominate your thinking and it actually begins to direct the path of your life, your, your daily decisions. So I don't know who said this, but someone once said that worry is a terrible use of your imagination. You, you know what I'm saying? Worry is a terrible use of your imagination. So you have been created with this thing called an imagination, right? And you can use it constructively to cast vision for what you see God doing. But you know what I discover a lot of people are doing? They're using their imagination to invent scenarios that most of the time will never happen, okay? And they project this make-believe future about what could happen. And sometimes what they imagine is so strong that it begins to direct their path and direct their thoughts. And here's the thing about fear dominating your life. If you have a phobia, genuinely, about any of this stuff, or even a fear, you can spend so much emotional energy working through your fears that you have no time for the fruit. God wants you to produce fruit. And if you're always emotionally exhausted dealing with your fears about certain things, you're not going to have time to produce the fruit that God wants you to produce. And you can you know, just forget about the potential of those seeds in your life because you'll spend most of your time worrying about things. We call this a distraction, people. This is a distraction. Fear is a distraction designed to keep you away from doing what God made you for and designed to keep you fixated on things that will pull your focus and pull you far away from God. And so fear, you know, it, it could be something that when it comes to, it could be a phobia. It could be the fear of being impoverished, right? And, and, and that's going to direct you to make certain decisions with how you spend your money and how you live your life and, and what you focus on. So at one end of the spectrum, it could be a total fear and phobia about being impoverished, right? But at the other end of the spectrum, it might, you might just suffer from FOMO. You know, it's called fear of missing out. You know, it, it, it's when you see other people with stuff that you really want and they've got it and you wish you had it. We have another word for that. We call it materialism. And you're so focused on what other people have that it distracts you from the purpose for which you were created. And if these kinds of thoughts drive your daily decisions where you think, I don't have enough money, I need to be in the pursuit of these things, I'm telling you right now, you have a significant problem that's going to prevent your producing potential. You with me so far? Good. You will most likely spend your life pursuing the things that you value most. You will most likely spend your life pursuing what you value most. And, and, and this is very important that you understand this because the wrong pursuit will keep you from fruitfulness because you're just going after the wrong stuff. Let me tell you what this might sound like in your head. So that if this voice ever comes into your head, 
you know how to recognize it, yeah? All right, this is what the voice might sound like. Um, one day, have you ever noticed that one day is a mythical land of fruitfulness and productivity? Yes? Okay, but it doesn't exist, right? So one day, one day, when I am financially secure, when I have set myself up, when I have built my portfolio, when I have paid off my car, paid off my house, paid off my credit card, paid off my debts, when that day happens, when I've paid off everything that I'm supposed to and I'm really financially secure and I'm clear of all of that stuff, on that day, I am going to get so serious about serving God. I'm really going to commit myself to this. I would like to tell you that that is the most non-committal thought you've ever had. It doesn't actually ex exist. I would like to remind you, there is no actual fruit attached to that thought. It's a make-believe place in the future, one day, where you might get serious. And that's why we call it a distraction. Because if you're always delaying what you know you're supposed to be doing, then the devil is very happy with your life right now. He's very happy that you keep delaying the things that God has put on your life while you just get yourself set up. Because in the meantime, you're not actually doing anything. And here's what's even really bad about this. You might live with the illusion that you've got a plan in place. Like this is really going to happen one day. And you could get to the end of your life and discover, oh my gosh, the day never really happened. I never really got there. I was in the pursuit of these things for so long, I forgot that one day I was meant to get serious about my relationship with God. You know, in the parable that we read today, in this, in this parable, these seeds actually grew. They did, they grew. So unlike the other ones that died very quickly, these ones actually grew, but they got choked out. And they got choked out, which means they never reached their potential. And the thing that these seeds never did is they never delivered any fruit. They just grew up a little bit. That is a premature death. Because the idea of sowing is what? Reaping. Right, it's reaping. So if something's growing, but it never actually delivers any fruit, it's failed to do what it was designed and intended to do in the first place. Listen to this. Your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. If your life is dominated by some kind of fear or phobia, it's going to have an impact on the direction that you take. It's going to affect your life in some way, shape, or form. So sometimes you have a mild, like you might have a fear, like you might get a fright. Say, for example, you step off the road, car nearly hits you, you get a fright, you see it coming at the last minute, your body gets filled with adrenaline, and because of that, you step back, right? And, and that kind of a fear is probably a good fear. Like we would, we, at Activate Church, we would encourage you to avoid fast oncoming objects, you know, that, 
travel at high velocity, this thing could save your life, okay? So that's a, that's a, that's a good fear, right? We're, we're okay with that kind of fear. But then there is a fear that could become a phobia. So say, for example, you stepped off the road, but now you can't ever go near a road. Now you've got a phobia. And when you have a phobia, right, what we would call that, in all honesty, we would call that a disorder, a disorder. And that word, if I look at that word and I think about it and I take it, disorder, it has a prefix at the beginning, dis. And that prefix changes and actually reverses the original meaning of the word. Think about it. If you had an advantage with the prefix dis, now you have a disadvantage. So if you are supposed to have order in your life, when you have a disorder, what it means is, is that things are out of order in your life. Now, listen into this. I want you to get this. When fear dominates your life and drives your daily decisions, you have disorder in your life. Because what you're supposed to do is put something ahead of your fears. If you think about the priorities of your life and the thing that's directing most of your decisions is fear, you have a disorder. It's supposed to be God. You're supposed to have God feeding into your life and you're supposed to have God directing your path. But when you put fear ahead and above God, then the things in your life are out of order and you have a disorder. Does that make sense to you? So here's what Jesus said because he wanted to make sure that we understood the order that we were supposed to have in our lives. So Jesus is talking to a whole heap of people one day, and it's this great message that starts, you know, in Matthew chapter 6 called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what he said in chapter 6 and verse 28. You guys should have it on screen. It says, And why are you anxious about that new jacket? Why are you anxious about a new pair of pants? Why are you anxious about not having a new enough car. Why are you anxious and not having a screen that's just five inches bigger? Why are you anxious about, oh, I don't know, just fill in the blank with whatever you want, okay? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grew and then neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? And what shall we drink? Or, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, after all these things, and your heavenly Father, he what? He knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that you need will be given to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow saying, uh, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What I'm reading to you right there is a kingdom principle that you need to 
Not want to, not should. I'm not politely suggesting tonight. Are you with me, right? This is not a polite suggestion. I am telling you what the scriptures say. You are supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that you are anxious about not having. He knows what you need. He knows what you want. He doesn't always deliver what you want, but he can get you what you need. Are you with me so far? You're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that you need will be what? They will be added to you. So if you start to look at the things in order, you're supposed to seek the kingdom first and you should put your fears well under his kingdom. That would be to have kingdom order. That would be to have just order in your life the way that God says you're supposed to have it. Here's what I've discovered. It is impossible for you to go after the kingdom of God when you are always dominated by fear because it's sucking so much emotional energy out of your life. It's the thought that you have when you go to sleep. It's the thought that you have when you wake up and far from producing fruit, you're just trying to make it through the day. And if you're trying to make it through the day, you won't have time or energy to produce what God wants you to. And he said, there's two things that will prevent you from producing fruit. What was the first thing? He said, the cares of the world. It's the cares of the world. So, you know, my family and I recently, as you know, I don't know why it keeps making it into my messages. We went camping. And, um, and so we went camping and um, I had a tent and we had a gazebo and I felt pretty good about our tent and gazebo. We set it up and we were happy and then somebody turns up and they parked next to me. And let me explain something to you. In this, you know, caravan park with a tent, we were in the minority. Nobody had tents. This guy pulls up next to me with what they call a camper trailer. And he begins to unfold this thing, right? And it's easy and it was quick. And this thing is like the Taj Mahal. It's ridiculous, right? I mean, this is like having a lounge room while you're camping. And I looked at what I had, and I looked at what he had, and I'm like, I need that, right? So I start Googling how much they are, right? Because I really want to know, because I've just discovered something new that I think I need in my life. How much are they? Can I afford one? Should I get one? And I start looking at it. Here's what's really interesting about that. It's not wrong for me to want that thing. So if you think you're going to come into church today and I'm going to tell you, right, stuff is bad. You shouldn't have it. Get rid of it. That's ridiculous. You got to have stuff. How'd you get here tonight? Don't give away your car. You won't be here next week and we want you to come back. So it would be crazy for me to say, just get rid of all your stuff. No, 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 no. Keep your stuff. It's okay if you want something. Here's where it gets bad. If it is out of order with what God wants. Let me explain it further. If what you want is what you have prioritized first in your life, now you have disorder. Because what you want is more important than what God told you you should seek. This makes sense to you, doesn't it? So when you put your wants ahead of what God says you need to do first, now you have disorder. And this, this is a significant problem. Like, for example, if your desire tonight, like if we were going to be honest and like 
get rid of all that false humility. And you said, hey, do you want to be a wealthier person? And you said, yes, I'd like to become wealthy. Honestly, awesome. And I hope you do. I hope you become, I think Christians, wouldn't it be good if Christians were very wealthy and that we could resource the kingdom, right? So if, if it's your desire to become more wealthy, great, it's mine too. To be honest, I would like to be more wealthy than I am right now. And, it's, and that, the, the desire to become more wealthy, that's not a sin. And if you do become more wealthy, continue to come to Activate Church and tithe and give and sow into the kingdom, right? It's okay to want to become more wealthy in, on its own. It's okay. But there is a danger here. There is something dangerous about this. If you have a desire to become more wealthy and you have a fear of not being wealthy, a fear of being poor, as a thought, if this dominates your thinking, you might be tempted to work your butt off taking double shifts and, 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 and working as hard as you can and, and earning as much money as you can and you know being totally consumed by this idea that you need to start amassing wealth because it's very important, right? And, and so much so, and you're so hungry after this stuff that you, 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 know, you have no time for God. And... Because you've got no time for God, you've got no time for ministry. You're not doing anything. You're not helping. You're not changing lives. All you're really doing is just going after wealth and trying to accumulate more of it and maybe coming to church on Sunday, right? Now, you'll notice that I said you had no time for God. I didn't say the word church because the truth is I think there's a lot of ministry that happens in church, but there should be even more ministry that happens in the world. So if you understand the point that I'm making, I am saying to you, if you are so hungry for the wrong things in life, to the exclusion of the things of the kingdom of God, you've got a disorder. You have a disorder. And this, and this stuff, this will ruin your life. Your priorities have to shift and change. And I'll tell you something right now. It's worth thinking about because one day, Jesus is going to come to you and he's going to ask you, where's the fruit? He, that conversation is coming. I just care enough about you to tell you up front. A lot of you are young adults, so hopefully you've got plenty of time to make this work for you, you know? Like, he's going to ask you. That conversation is coming. Who knows? It might be 60 years away. But one day you'll meet Jesus and he'll say, where is the fruit? Listen to this quote by um, Francis Chan. He says, our greatest desire, uh, sorry, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. That should be your greatest fear. Not of not, of not being successful. Your greatest fear should be succeeding at life and succeeding your whole way through your life, but you're just succeeding in all the wrong areas. You're succeeding, but it's stuff that God doesn't really even care about. And I'm sure he's happy that you're successful. But remember, one day he's going to come and he's going to ask you, where's the fruit? And here's my point. If you have the wrong desire, 
you're going to head in the wrong direction. Because it starts here. If you have the wrong desire, you'll head in the wrong direction. Succeeding at wrong things or at the wrong things, this is getting choked by the thorns. This is the very heart of this message. You could be succeeding and doing well. You're just not doing the things that God really wants you to do. And because you're so distracted and you're looking at all the other stuff and, and, and there are so many things that you're fixated on, driven by your fears of not having enough or whatever it is, listen to me. The devil doesn't really care as long as you're distracted and you're not producing what God wants you to produce. And if you believe the deceit of riches... You will never see a hundredfold harvest in your life. Or it will belong to someone else. And you'll look at what God is doing in their life. And you, you know what? You might not even notice that you don't have it. And why? Why? Just because you listened to the deceit of riches. I've learned that deceit has a voice. And so, again, let me... Tell you what the voice sounds like so that when you hear it, you'll know. You with me? Yeah. All right, here's what the voice will sound like to you. It'll sound like, you know, if you were more wealthy, if you had more money, you could have what you want. I mean, it was pretty subtle, isn't it? And there is so much about that is, that is logical and make sense. Of course, if I had more money, I could get what I want. So as an idea, I mean, of course, it makes sense, but it's, but it's how much it grips your life as a thought. It's how much that thought dominates your thinking and drives your daily decision-making process. You know what it might sound like? It might actually sound like your next purchase. This next purchase will actually be the one that really does make you happy. And if you buy that jacket, this will deliver to you all the social requirements necessary to build friends with people. This jacket is so amazing that should you buy it, people will stop you in the street and say, you are ridiculous and amazing, right? I mean, you... you you know what? You need this jacket. Some people might say it's a want. I say it's a need. It's so funny how need often or greed often presents itself as need, isn't it? You really do need this stuff, right? Now, a lot of you might not have children yet, but here's one that I've discovered and encountered as pastor and as a father. If you had more money you could protect your family and they would be safe if you had more money. Because then if you had more money, you could afford life insurance and income protection. And if you had more money, you could afford... And th those things are actually good things. I don't want to steer you away. But, but it's, that's not the problem. It's the idea that if you had more, it could protect you. Would you know that the Bible has something to say about that? In fact, if you read Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 11, it says this. A rich man's wealth is like a strong city, like a high wall. If you don't understand where this is going, this is the idea. When somebody has a strong city and high walls, it keeps the bad stuff out and all the good stuff in. 
So if you were rich enough, it's like your wealth can insulate you against all the trouble that life could bring. Your kids would be protected if they get sick. They can be you know, covered by insurance. And if you were wealthy enough, you could afford treatment. And if you were rich enough, you could protect your family. It says it's like a strong city and a high wall. Oh yeah, and the last part says, but only in his imagination. Not actually safe. Not, not really. It's like a strong city and it's like high walls, but only in his imagination. And you already know this because all you have to discover is that there is, if a child or someone got an incurable disease, there is no wealth that you could accumulate Nothing that you could build significant enough that would insulate you against something as significant as an incurable disease. And the moment you realize this, you say, oh my gosh, this is how dangerous this thought could be. It could literally be that if I'm rich, I'm safe. I could reduce it to that. And the truth is, you're not. And you would be better, rather than putting all of your hope, this is the, the thing that rich people do sometimes, they put their hope in their riches. The Bible says this in Timothy. They put their hope into riches, right? It would be such a bad idea to put all of your hope into riches, but you should actually put your hope into the one that is over and above every situation, every circumstance, every sickness and disease. And if your hope ever shifts from him, to your money, thinking it's going to protect you. Now you know you have fully and completely bought into the deceit of riches. Here's a, um, here's a great question from a, a book that I read a number of years ago by a, a pastor by the name of Andy Stanley. He asked this question. He said, how much money would you need to secure yourself against all imaginable eventualities? I want you to think about that for a minute. How much money would you need to secure yourself against all imaginable eventualities? Take a moment. This will be very quick. You'll be able to do this very easy. I want you to think about how much money you would need to bring security to your life against every possible thing that you can ever imagine that could come against you or your family. I want you to think about that. Now, here's the thing. I don't know all of your situations and your circumstances. I don't know what you're personally going through, but I know the answer that you're all thinking. And the answer is more. You would need more than what you've currently got. Everyone would need more. How much money would you need to secure yourself against everything that could possibly come to you? I don't know, but I bet it's more than you currently have. And here's the thing. As a thought, right? As a thought, if you buy into this, it has the power to drive you to continue to pursue more, to want more, to have more. This, man, this is the deceit of riches. You need more. And, and listen, some of you are like, oh my gosh, but I actually do need more. Okay, fine, right? If you need more, great, good, it's fair. I understand that. You might actually need more. You're like, no, I, I really need more money to pay my bills and, and so forth. I do need to work another shift. That's, that's fine. That's, that's not the problem. 
Here's the problem. As a thought, isn't it interesting how in a room this size, someone here, someone here tonight is the wealthiest person in the room. Someone here is so don't look at your neighbor like it's, you know, like some of you are looking around saying, is it you? You know? And, and someone here is the wealthiest person. And it's funny how even the poorest and the wealthiest can still be driven by the same idea that they still need more. And this is the problem. When that idea of needing more drives you and you start pursuing more wealth to the exclusion of kingdom things, because what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. But if you, if you pursue wealth to the exclusion of the kingdom, you have already been choked out. It's already happened to you. Do you understand the implications of the words that I'm saying? Like, do you, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? This is, this is what I'm saying to you right now. You could be the wealthiest person in this room tonight. You could be highly successful. I mean, you could be rich. You could be a CEO. You could be so wealthy and, and people would look up to you and see you and say, wow, and if we went out to the car park, you would have the best car. And to add to that, you come to church every week and you are so holy, like unbelievably and unimaginably holy. In fact, you even arrive before church begins, not in song three. And when it comes to worship, you eat, oh man, yeah, all right, let's go there. You could be so crazy. You might put your hands up and worship, you know, like, I mean, like a super holy person. You could be doing all of this. You could be a person that as you grow older, you check your kids into kids' church. You're in church every week. You hear every sermon, you're always here and people would look up to you and they would look at you and say, you're so wealthy and you're so successful and you're still, you're in church every week. You're an impressive person and you could be all, now that's impressive, okay? You could be all of that and still be delivering no fruit, no fruit because everything that you've accumulated is for you, but you've never delivered any fruit. And I need to tell you that God is interested in the harvest, that He is interested in the fruit that you produce. And if you have the wrong desires, shock horror, you're already headed the wrong direction. And the worst part about it is you could look like on the surface of things, this really spiritual person, and nobody might even know that you're actually not doing a thing that God's asked you to do. There's no fruit. There's no ministry. You just have a very successful life. And your whole life you've succeeded. But wouldn't it be horrible if you actually met Jesus? And He said, where's the fruit? And you said, I was so successful. And He goes, yeah, but you were successful at all the wrong stuff. And, and, and you are on earth for, let, let's just pick a number. You are on earth for 80 years. And you squandered opportunity after opportunity after opportunity in the pursuit, the constant pursuit of more, thinking that your success was impressive to me. But I tell you right now, I sent person after person. I wanted you to do ministry, not become wealthy, not to secure your family's financial future and have a something, inheritance that you can leave to your kids. So your kids are secure, but my kids aren't. Your kids might be secure, but mine don't know. They don't know my name. 
And they don't know my name because you never did what I asked you to do. You succeeded in all the wrong places. I told you I love you. I'm just giving you the conversation up front because one day, one day, it'll be you and him. And in that moment, he will ask you, where is the fruit? So please, don't delay what you know you're supposed to do today because you know that one day Jesus is going to ask you where is the fruit we trust you enjoyed this week's message for any more information about Activate Church check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week